Hello, welcome back again to uh, our class podcast. So yeah, a year has passed, right? And maybe when the first case occurred in Japan, we had no idea that uh, this pandemic would last this long. And here we are now. Many of us are still struggling with the rising infections and also uh, related to how the pandemic has continued to jeopardize our economy. So this year we are going to have another podcast session to talk about the COVID-19 pandemic. And today I would like to welcome Jean, the host for this week's session. Time is yours, Jean. First of all, I think I would like all the guests to um, turn on their cameras first. That's all right. Thank you. Um, okay, let's start. Hello everyone, I hope you're all doing well and I'm Jean and for today's session I will be your host and we will have guests who will be talking about COVID-19 and its impact on population health in various countries around the world. Without further ado, let's welcome our first guest, a Japanese raised in America, Momoka. <laughs> well, hello, how are you? Good, thanks. Right, do you mind introducing your topic for today? Yes, uh, may, I, may I share my slide? Yeah, sure. Professor, oh, can you give me access, please? Yes, already. Can you uh, start? Uh, oh, okay, thank you. So, um, my topic is the deadly second wave in India. Okay, so do you mind sharing the impact of COVID-19 in India so far? Yes. Okay, so first I would like to share um, the history behind um, the COVID cases in India. So the first wave came in um, September of last year and there were about like Um, 100,000 infections and then the numbers dropped in uh, February this year and then since sorry (laughs) since March um, the number of cases has um, increased dramatically and um, as of May 8th there has been um, 400,000 cases and at the same time the number of deaths um, are increasing too and uh, on February 23rd there were only um, under 100 cases of deaths but now uh, as of yesterday there were um, 4,454 deaths confirmed. So I would like to introduce why the second wave started and there were many factors but as you can see in Wait, sorry. As you can see in the graph, um, the number of cases have dropped um, dropped significantly in February and March. So in the beginning of March, the um, the government has announced that um, the country was at the end of the pandemic, and thus this led to the reopening of many facilities and 
uh, introduce some um, examples. So first, during mid-March, the cricket games um, has started and there were more than um, 130,000 people uh, watching the international cricket games between India and England. And many people were unmasked and people gathered in stadiums without any social distancing. So this is like the example of the crowd. And there were some people who were wearing masks, but there are others who are not wearing masks and it's very crowded without any social distancing. Also the election campaign. So um, at the end of March, the elections, the key elections in five states in India started. And um, the, there were like tens of thousands of people um, calling their leaders in election rallies. And this is the picture. Uh, as you can see, um, there were no safety protocols and there were no so social distancing. So this um, led to the second wave as well. And also from a science, um, sorry, and there were a lot of reopening of public spaces and people um, started to like let um, their guards down and people started to attend weddings and social gatherings without any social distancing and many po um, public spaces were reopening and there was this sense of normalcy um, which contributed to the second wave and also there was the Hindu festival Kamela the Hindus like believe that the river is a very holy place and they um, wanted to take a dip in the water to like cleanse them from their like, sins. And so many uh, millions of followers crowded at the banks of the rivers to take a dip. This is a picture and they will come every night and without mass and they would like, you know, this was part of their religion, but um, this, gathering like definitely contributed to the increase of cases and for from a more um, scientific standpoint um, the government um, weren't careful of variants so they should have been testing more so they could detect like the different variants of COVID but um, as of December 2020 India um, only has done like 50 uh, 5,000 5,000 samples of variant cases, which was far below the other countries. And overall, um, the government's declaration um, that the pandemic was over um, started these types of huge gatherings and the responses that the government took wasn't good and they allowed these religious gatherings and elections and at the same time, they didn't increase the process of the vaccine. So um, many COVID um, officials, uh, many like health officials say that there were many warning signs in February, but everyone, including the government and the regular people, um, they didn't, like they ignored that and they didn't take measures to stop the second wave. Okay, so like, um the citizens start started to not um, use like mask and social distancing is because the government weren't strict enough to begin with is that true well, i think the declaration 
led like the declar since the government who has the authority and they declared that the pandemic was over everyone thought that it was actually over and they just converted back to pre-covid times and think like after that declaration the government wasn't able to control um its people to wear masks again because so i think it all started because of that declaration mm -hmm. and everything like loosened after that ah yeah that is very out of control and um in your opinion how does it like how does these like factors affect like indian people now because of these So um, let me explain the medical condition now. So, so in India, from before even before COVID times, the medical infrastructure in India was very poor, and there were only one doctor per around like 1,500 people in the country. And this was um, published. This statistic was published in um, in 2019 by the Indian government, and also like only. 1.28% of the GDP of India was spent on healthcare whereas like in the US it was around 17%. So we could see how like um the medical facility um how poor it was in India from the start and this contributed to like this um this like worsen uh with the spread of the second um, wave and there were inadequate equipment and facilities in India so with the new variant like people had to have a hospital bed with um, a, a sufficient um, oxygen supply so they had to have oxygen um, not even if they weren't in the ICU they had to have oxygen supply with the Indian variant um, in Indian um, COVID variant but um, hospitals weren't unable to treat many patients because they were overwhelmed by the number of cases and the like increase um the surge in cases and um on the shore so even if they got admitted into the hospitals many shared beds and like they were um like getting into a hospital was considered lucky and it was normal for um it's normal for people to share a bed which shows how um bad the medical condition is and also um there's not enough supply of oxygen and also um doctors and nurses and we can see how um occupied the ICU beds are so even if you get um infected like you can't get admitted into hospitals which um is a huge problem and also in cities and smaller cities and rural areas the um situation is worse because you have to um travel many miles by foot to get to um hospitals and the access is really bad so like and also people are really like reluctant to go to hospitals and they like ignore all the first symptoms and then once they're um they're at like a really severe stage that's when they start finding hospitals but they can't like get access to them and it's all full so um that is this like the medical condition 
and India? Um, do you think like the citizens trust um, hospitals during like this time? Because I've heard like news that the citizens don't trust the hospitals and like some of them criticize them for their work and all of that. Well, I think as you can see from this picture, it's not like a really safe, um, safe choice to go to hospitals. Like even if you get admitted, it doesn't mean that you get the like you get good treatment. It doesn't mean that you get like oxygen supply, and you have to share a bed with like a COVID patient next to you. And I think because of that, many people are reluctant to go to hospitals. And even from the start, um, any like even before COVID times, many like um, Indians in the rural area. Um, they don't have like the practice of going to hospitals because it was um, they're such in a rural area that um, they don't have access to it. So I think just the location and the current environment and like the current situation in the hospitals make it um, make it like make the patients uncomfortable to go to hospitals. Thank you and. Are there like any other effects besides like the medical field? Um, like well, I focused more on the medical field, but I wanted to cover like some other aspects like the government and stuff. And there's a lot of um, unreported deaths and the official death toll um, that's announced like in the graph that I showed in the beginning, that's only the patients who um, die in the hospitals and but in reality most people die at homes because they don't get they don't like they die before they get they were able to get to the hospitals so officials say that um the death like the death toll is this but in um, reality i think um the number of deaths is like way higher and also this is a picture of like the funeral hall and it's like constantly running and um these people are um not these people um the medical and these um yeah, these people are like constantly um have to burn um these bodies and they can't keep up so like it shows how bad the situation is and also, the, I think the government's response, like looking at the more political side, not the medical side, I think the government's response is really bad too. And the government announced that they're like taking measures to transport oxygen to rural hospitals using like tra uh, public transportation train and the military aircraft. But in reality, like it's not enough to fight off the number of cases and um, many like local people have anger against the government and like the politicians and the like the system because um, the military and the disaster response teams they haven't like um, they haven't been polled to like, do anything and they think they should be building hospitals building field hospitals and making more space so that um, people could get treatment but the government hasn't done anything in those terms so i think the government's response is 
not really good and and that's contributing to the second wave um do you have like any ideas on like maybe what the government should do to make it better like to make the situation better well i think under these circumstances like i know like the indian government doesn't have these supplies and the vaccines and the oxygen supplies so i think they should be um like asking for international support like if they can't contain them like if they can't manage it then like it's like a real crisis in indian community so i think the government should be looking beyond like india and just asking for more support like asking for more vaccinations and more medical staff and i think there's more that the government can do thank you are there any other topics yeah this is a graph of um the need for oxygen and it's said that um each day every patient needs around 10 to 40 liters of oxygen and but how um india is like not ha- uh, they don't have enough supplies so this is a graph to show that like one way for um like going back to the other question with the government's response i think um they could be asking for more um oxygen supplies from like nearby countries so the covid patients could get oxygen and also like for the vaccines um said that um, 150 million doses would was like administered uh, at the beginning of May and the government said that their goal was to um spread the vaccine to 300 million people but in reality like they're producing vaccines but they're like sending it off to like other countries so they don't, they're um they have sh- like a severe shortage of vaccines so I think this is another issue in India and since people only had one dose of vaccines or they didn't even get access to these vaccines like it's um slowing um, it's like contributing to the second wave and lastly um, officials say that um they predict that the cases will decline by July and like I think the middle of May and the beginning of May that was the peak and it's slowly going down but it's going to take until like May to completely um decline and also they predict that the third wave may come if government doesn't take um extreme protocols to um control their cases Thank you so much for your um explanation. And I think um is there any other things that you want to add on or oh, I think I explained all my points. Okay. Thank you so much. And I guess we have to end it now. Um because we have a time limit. So I guess um thank you so much for your 
time once again. And all right, that is from Momoka. Moving on, we have our second guest from Okinawa, Japan, Ayaka. Hello. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. <laughs> Do you mind um doing a brief introduction for your topic? Yes, so today I'm going to talk about the coronavirus spread in Brazil. So I'll be sharing my presentation. So um, can you guys see the screen? Okay, so um, as you guys already know, um, Brazil is the second highest um, country that has the COVID patients cases and it's increasing day by day as you can see in the graph and this is becoming a major problem right now and the government is trying to handle the situation but um, there were a few factors that kind of led to the situation. Um, sorry, I think there's a problem. Wait. Sorry, I couldn't move it. Um, I'll just do it like this. Sorry. So and so the COVID variant in Brazil is P1 variant, and according to the researcher, um, it emerged in the Amazon state and last year November, and it quickly spread around the country. And in the recent studies, it uh, was discovered that it infects people who already gained immunity from the pre uh, previous cases. And this is also one of the concerning reasons that people are worried about this. And currently, so in Brazil, the death toll is over 350,000 and it's the second highest in the world behind the US. And according to the Health Institute Fiocruz, um, in most states, the COVID patients are occupying more than 90% of the ICU beds. So. The hospitals are really packed and it's overcrowded, um, similar to other countries. And also, um, just like other countries, the elderly people are the majority of the COVID patients. Um, and however, in the recent studies, um, there were reports that young Brazilians are also dying from COVID and about 6% of the deaths recently have been among young people under the age 40 uh, which was in february it was less than five percent so it's increasing and so i was I, mentioning about the initial response so it was kind of preventable since um, many researchers have said that brazil has a universal health system that operates at the federal and state and municipal level so the municipalities follow the measures of the federal state, but as you guys already know, there was no much guidance from the federal level and there wasn't much scientific advisory committee to help the government. And the president, um, Bolsonaro, was denying science and he said it was just like a small flu and he didn't really um, care much about it. And he promoted the wrong treatments like hydro hydroxychloroquine which is an anti-malaria drug um, which has nothing to do with covid 
and also Brazil um, has the largest community-based primary care program. And there are 300,000 community health agents across the country that help the vulnerable people. So um, in this community, they actually go visit people's houses and help monitor diabetes or blood pressure, <laughs> blood pressure and they check on the pregnant women. But um, if the community health agents were used in a better way and it could have been an advantage to help respond to the COVID situation. Um, so if the president and the federal state actually um, promoted the accurate information and the correct preventative measures, um, some damage could have been mitigated. So currently um, the president, um, well, in the last year, he also said he didn't want to wear masks or he didn't support a vaccine. And he said it was like the last taboo to fall. Um, and he was, he, and he is still against the lockdown, but several mayors in Brazil have um, implemented lockdown. And one of them was Edino Silva. And he did the lockdown in the city of Araraquara for 10 days in February and it was actually effective but it was short so um, the effect kind of faded away but um, the president's supporters kind of um, threatened him so he was kind of pressured to not do lockdown but he heard from the medical staffs that um, they were kind of in a bad situation and they needed a lockdown so he did it and but there's a social pressure from the government that like they don't want the mayors to do the lockdown and however um there's also a problem because the health ministry um since the covid the health ministry official changed four times which is kind of rare um and the reason was because like the first three people were against the president's um ideas about lockdown and other um, people who supported the correct information and the president didn't like that. But um, recently there's been more criticization against the president and he actually um, changed the health minister to a medical person to gain more support. And so now um, the Ministry of Health is recommending um, measures like social distancing and respiratory etiquette and hand washing. Um, but the president is still against the lockdown, so it's kind of contradicting in a way. So there's kind of a tension still between the medical um, staff people and the official government that's not like doing the correct thing. And also on the vaccination, um, only 8% of the population are fully vaccinated and there's a shortage of vaccines. Um, and actually last year, um, Pfizer repeatedly offered to sell the COVID vaccine to Brazil from August to November, but the government didn't respond um, since the president wasn't supporting vaccine. And but recently, because um, he was criticized, um, he changed his own ways. And so Brazil is now trying to secure vaccines and they actually order from Coronavac and um, other locally produced ones and from Russia and China. So they're trying to collect more vaccines. And they also started an experiment called Project S in 
one of the cities and they um, had vaccines twice for the villagers there but the vaccine is only 50% effective so the results haven't um, been reported yet but I'm kind of interested to see the official reports so I just wanted to let you guys know about this um, experiment. So this is just a picture of people lining up to get the vaccine. And, oh, sorry. Sorry, I was gonna ask, like, whether the citizens um, agree with the government's policy so far, or, or are you um, just going to talk uh, about it later? Um, do you mean before they changed it to the good way, or before, like, yeah, the during the president's um, criticism on COVID nineteen, like, when this the the president didn't agree on, like medication and all of that right yes um like how did the local um citizens like react to that um the supporters of the president um well obviously don't listen to the social distancing and other um important measures so those supporters kind of ignored the correct um rules but the other people who thought those measures were important were kind of criticizing the government and the president and they actually um, filed a petition about um, allowing the lockdown but they're still kind of having tension between that issue too and it's kind of complicated I think thank you sorry for like <laughs> no, it's okay. I mean I was just curious okay thank you oh okay so um so about the vaccination, I also found it interesting that um, the indigenous people also face a difficult situation right now um, since they live in the isolated area and far away from the densely populated cities. Um, they have limited information and um, some of the indigenous people have mobile phones, but then the applications that are free are only like Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp and like in those social medias, there's also false rumors um, related to the vaccine. And also, some religious missionaries come to the area and spread like the um, false information about the vaccine, um, which is creating confusion for the people. And the local um, medical nurses or like doctors are hoping to come give the vaccine or struggling to persuade those people who believe in the um, wrong information and even like the families of those indigenous people themselves struggle to persuade their own family to actually get the vaccine so um, it's kind of making the issue really complicated and according to the official figures um, more than 650 indigenous people living in the villages have died due to COVID-19 out of the total population of 517,000 people so I think this is kind of a difficult situation to tackle because persuading is not really easy. And also um, there was another issue I thought was kind of unique because in Japan they don't really say this but um, in Brazil they warned that like women should like postpone their pregnancy after the worst wave of the coronavirus pandemic since um, 
the P1 variant is more aggressive in pregnant women. And actually, the Secretary of Primary Health Care official mentioned that um, if possible, they should postpone the pregnancy a bit better time so that they can have a more peaceful pregnancy. And well, they said it's not for those older, like 42 or 43, but like for younger women. And I thought this is kind of difficult as well, since if they already have the baby inside, you know, they already have a limit, like time limit to, until they um, give birth. So kind of saying delaying pregnancy is like, mm, I feel like it's too difficult or they can't, they can't really say that because it's their own choice as well too, so. But isn't it because of, you know, like the, uh, what, what do they call it, like Zika or Zika fears? Uh, I think that's also involved too. But I also think from the perspective of the hospitals, because mm -hmm. as I mentioned early, earlier, um, the ICU beds and all the beds are really full. So maybe that's also another issue that they have to say this kind of um, comment publicly. So I guess just overall the medical staffs and in the hospitals are really um, kind of in the breaking point because they really have so much pressure right now and the government's not really supportive towards them which is kind of making the situation more worse so and also the fact that um the children are affected by covid was very surprising for me because i don't um hear any information about this in japan or like other countries and in brazil like um, 13,000 babies have died from the virus and one of the top two reasons for this issue was because as I mentioned earlier the overwhelmed healthcare system or like the hospitals are too packed they don't have enough beds or medicines and they don't have enough um, people to look after and the second is the lack of testing for children so one of the local doctors said that um, children often come to get diagnosed too late when they're already seriously ill and they have a problem detecting the cases since um, there's not enough tests for the general population and even fewer for children. So there's going to be a delay in the diagnosis and delay in the care for the child. And she also mentioned that there is a rare syndrome in those babies that um, have extreme immune response to COVID and it causes inflammation in their vital organs and usually affects children up to six weeks old. So, and she also mentioned that because um, they're younger, they can't speak as well. So it's more harder to um, actually kind of figure out the symptoms of the baby, which is making this um, situation difficult. So, that's one of the discoveries I found from researching about this topic. And this is just a picture of a baby in the hospital. So... And also... Um, um, I ask, can I ask the question? Oh, sorry for the background noise, but... Um, are the schools closed or do they start using like online? ever since like the worsening of the um, COVID in children? Well, some schools are open and they're online as well, but um, 
in general, the president doesn't want to do a lockdown. So I think generally, I think it's open and um, it's still functioning. But um, some mayors kind of ignored the president and just do a lockdown. But so there's like tensions between different cities and states. So I think it depends on the area. But Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and um, about the vaccination, there was also a kind of social problem as well that um, some people with authority and money would um, secretly get vaccinated. So um, 30 politicians were found um, vaccinated and it was kind of um, they were kind of criticized and some mayor and wife got vaccinated earlier before doctors and elderly in the city and that caused also like social tensions too so these kind of little small um, issues are also leading up to more um, trouble for the whole population in general and also so well in conclusion I think Four factors like really influence the situation in Brazil. So, like the inequality in health resources and income, and also the lack of preventative measures. Well, that's partly because of the president's fault because he didn't really um, follow the international <laughs> standards about preventing the COVID um, spread. But, and also since the president kind of put or politicization of the pandemic, like using it for his own political support in a way and um, spreading the wrong information led to more chaos and confusion. And also because the hospitals and medical staffs and then the federal state kind of have different opinions. There has been varied responses between the states and cities which is causing more problems. And because, as I mentioned earlier, um, the medical staff or like the hospitals in the state doesn't have the same opinion. I think if they don't follow the same agenda or like the same um, criteria, it's gonna be more problem in the future. So I think from now on, they should try to kind of compromise or like try to make things better from now on if they actually want to make the situation better for the future. So, yes, thank you. All right, well, there is a comment from Mai who said that um, her friend in Brazil goes to school two times a week. Thank you for that information. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I feel like because I personally feel like if the situation is getting worse, then maybe they should um, do like, online schooling instead of face to face. But then again, online um, it's really hard to learn online, I guess, especially for little kids. Uh huh. Do you have anything else to add on? I yeah. think um, about the lockdown, but Japan hasn't done a complete lockdown either. So I don't, I feel like for Brazil, they don't have to do it for every city, but maybe for like the most popular, like overpopulated places or like densely populated, like big cities, 
but like for like those um, rural areas or places with less population, I feel like it can be more relaxed. But um, I think they can adjust the lockdown and not just say like completely no, because that's gonna make the situation worse. So yeah, yeah, I completely agree. I um, think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for the detailed presentation and explanation about the current situation in Brazil. And I guess we will move on to another guest. Thank you so much, Ayaka. Thank you. And um, for our third guest, um, she's from Myanmar. Let's welcome Kun. <laughs> Hi, everyone. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll be talking introduction. Uh, yeah, so let me just share my screen first. And uh, yeah, today, so I'll be talking about the um, newfound freedom in Israel. So up until like a couple of months ago in Israel, like um, Israel has had like daily infection cases of a little over 10,000. And um, it was said to be the world's third um, worst infection rate. Um, but then like, but then like, yeah. But then like the country like realized the importance of vaccination. And so, yeah, they distributed the vaccines to the citizens really quickly. And so it, that's why the topic is like this, the newfound freedom in Israel. So the country actually did three lockdowns together um, but then, like the infection rates um, wouldn't go down, so they started the COVID nineteen vaccination program in December. Um, December was also the month with um, the third wave, which was really worse and which was really bad. And this vaccination vaccination program was started on nineteenth of December two thousand twenty to be exact, and um, its name was called Give a Shoulder. And um, it is said that Israel used the vaccine, um, the, this Fixer BioNTech vaccine, which needed two doses in together. Yeah. And then the first one to get it was the prime minister of the country. And he actually got it on TV to um, encourage the citizens to get it too. But it was SSX because um, in just three weeks, in the first three weeks, the first dose was um, successfully distributed to 20% of all the population. And um, one third of the population got vaccinated in a little bit more than a month. So I would say like, this is really fast. And then like um, the government also established this green pass system. So which is basically like um, the people who have already got the vaccine or who had already recovered from COVID-19, they are um, allowed to have this green pass thing, which basically allow them to search in public areas such as gyms, hotels, and theaters. I think, I personally think this is a really great system because um, it differentiates between the people who um, are not prone to virus anymore. So, yeah, it was really um, helpful in um, um, reducing the cases, I think. And then it was really successful because um, by May 23rd, um, according to the statistics, half of the population, which is 56.5% uh, of the population, um, had already got vaccinated. 
and 60.1% received at least one dose. And um, yeah, as you can see too, on May 22nd, only 12 new infection cases were reported. This is a huge success because like, like I said, in December, there were a daily um, infection cases of 10,000. And <laughs> in May 22nd, there were only 12 new cases. And then on May 23rd, uh, the Israel Health Minister, he reported that Israel is going to end um, COVID-19 restrictions after his vaccine success, which is estimated to be um, around the start of June, I guess. Yeah. And then the reason it succeeded really fast is because of, of population, because like Israel only has like 9.1 million of population, I think. Yeah. And then like um, after since um, since the vaccine um, was distributed, Israel slowly opened its economy since February. Uh, but then still the borders are still close to tourists. Um, but for small groups of tourists who are vaccinated already, they're allowed to go into the country and stuff. Yeah, so like uh, the health minister, he actually said that um, from the start of June, they're gonna um, clear all of the COVID-19 restrictions and the green pass system that I mentioned before is going to be gone too. So it, is, um, it seems like the public, uh, the citizens will be, um, will get the freedom to move around easily like like it was before, like it was before the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah. Do you also think that the citizens in Israel are more cooperative than in most countries? Because I feel like um, other countries like vaccination growth is a bit slow because a lot of the citizens are critical about the vaccines. Yeah, yes. I think um, Israel citizens, Israelis, they're really cooperated too because um, like I said to the even the prime minister, he got it on TV so that um, it can encourage other citizens to get it done too. And then the citizens were also like uh, they sh they actually showed up for the vaccine too because they trust. Um, I read that they trust their um, um, what do you say, um, the government. Yeah. But then um, I also saw one report that. Um, some of the citizens, some of the citizens, how can I say, like that um, 24%, like to be exact, yeah, 24% of the citizens approve um, how the government control the COVID-19 spread. Only 24%. So I don't know. I don't. I couldn't actually find the reason. But yeah, according to the survey, like only 24% were satisfied with it. Yeah. That's really nice. And... In your opinion, like um, maybe what can be applied maybe in Japan, or like, or like what the Israel government has done. Yeah. Maybe. So like, from this um experience from this Israel's vaccination case, we can see the we can see the importance of um vaccination. Like the lockdowns only, it's not gonna improve the situation that much. I mean, it's gonna um is gonna reduce the spread of virus for a little while but then vaccination is um a more effective solution i think and then to be honest in my opinion like japan is really slow in like um giving out the vaccination um but yeah i think japan 
should actually like move faster to because like Israel the cases were really worse but then like after its vaccination the country like there were there were like almost no more um new cases anymore so i think uh, not only japan but like other co- other countries also should learn from this thank you um are there any other questions maybe from the audiences that you might want to ask about um israel situation I have a comment. Like yeah. not a question. But I yeah. think um comparing to like the Indian and the um Brazilian situation, uh yeah. it's like a it's Israel is like a really is a role model and I think countries um such as Brazil and India they have to um make sure like work on their vaccinations because um that's their only like that's I'm sorry but it's it's it Israel proved that vaccinations work to contain the cases and I think you said like there were only 12 cases and I think um countries such as Japan and those um India and Brazil have to um work on vaccination and spreading that sorry that yeah. I worded it badly <laughs> I'm sorry. Um I think you're right. But then like uh the main reason that Israel seceded is also because of its small population because in India in Brazil there were there were a lot of people compared to Israel. So yeah, the government has to like really think of a you know, effective strategy. And then um there was a question from professor and um Warren Max. Um I read that um people will be able to like people don't need to wear masks anymore in public um, like in public outer spaces but then in closed um areas what do i say like in um in for example like a theater where it is like um a closed building they still need to wear the face masks i think yeah yeah that's really great to hear cuz i have read that they they are close to achieving herd immunity Sorry, my sister bit noisy. Um, yeah. um, so are there any other? Uh, I have a comment. Um, I think um you already mentioned that the population was small, but I think because the people had trust in the government, it went so smoothly. Because Brazil and India, I'm kind of struggling with the situation, and if they had more um trust in the government, I feel like or If the for Brazil if the government did the more correct thing I think it would have more went smoothly so um I think just in general the Israel's example was really like successful and I think it's a really like a role example yes I think so too yeah I, Israel was really successful in this yeah thank you so much for the comment Momoka and um Ayaka um okay Is there anything you want to add on? Good. Um yes, this is oh. nice speaking. Um do you know if how people made a reservation for vaccines because I've heard that in Japan one of the problem is that it's very difficult to make the reservation because for example in the city where I live in 
they elderly people have to make reservation on internet and they're not used to like using those devices so i wanted to know how they made reservations in israel i'm so sorry but i did not you know. know. <laughs> <laughs> i'm so sorry oh it's fine thank you okay. thank you is there anything else that you want to add on, Kun? I think I'm good, yeah. Thank you. Alright, um, thank you so much for your explanation about the positive side of um, COVID situation right now. And yeah, thank you, Kun, once again. Um, I guess we will be moving on to our last guest, which is... Um, Let's welcome our guest who spent her childhood in America, Momoka. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm Momoka. I'm good. Thank you. Do you mind doing a brief introduction of your topic for today? Uh, my topic is elimination strategy, strategy in New Zealand and Australia. So I will share my screen. So before this, before researching about this topic, I didn't have any idea what the strategies were. So I will explain strategies first. Uh, there are strategy, strategy, strategies for responding to COVID-19 and other pan pandemics. They are divided according to goals. So, and as I have shown here, there are five strategies and restricts, restrictions get stricter as the graph, as we move up the graph, move up the chart. Uh, I will explain my mitigation strategy and suppression strategy and elimination strategy today because those are introduced throughout my topic. Uh, so first, mitigation strategy is the most moderate strategy out of the three I mentioned. And its purpose was to try not to silently in increase the number of cases so that health service will not become overwhelmed. And suppression strategy is taken to flatten the epidemic curve further than with it, further than with mitigation strategy, but still keeps community community trans transmission ongoing and finally this elimination strategy is this purpose is to reduce the incidence of a of a disease to zero or eliminate eliminate the disease uh, i will get into my topic as we all know the coronavirus virus started to spread around the world in the beginning of 2020 in March 2020, New Zealand had just over 100 COVID-19 cases and no death. But the Prime Minister of New Zealand announced that the country would go into an intense lockdown. They, they took a big, hard, big and hard action at the early period, which was surprising from other countries. And so why this big action in the early time? 
New Zealand was following the existing mitigation pandemic plan until the March until the early March of 2020. Uh, this plan was used in the past influenza pandemics and still were carried out in Europe and during the COVID-19 pandemics. But it was not working very well in these countries because the coronavirus was so strong that it kept spreading at, fight, at fast pace, overwhelming health services. And since the mitigation strategy didn't work out, these countries switched to suppression strategy, which was the next step. And, and this involved physical distancing and travel restrictions or lockdown to stop virus transmission. About the same time in Taiwan, Hong Kong, and South Korea, they had succeeded in elimination approach. So New Zealand had evidence that elimination strategy would work well and uh, in order to say that the COVID-19 has eliminated, there has to be 28 days of absence of new cases since 14 days is the maxim maximum incubation period and has to be the twice the amount of the period. Um, New Zealand and Australia had its first case reported later compared to European and North American countries. So this time, this timing provided uh, New Zealand and Australia to think about what strategies they're going to take and how they are going to prepare. Uh, so New Zealand. Uh, and Australia take mitigation strategy. By July 2020, the country experienced no instance of no instances of community tra community-based transmission for more than 80 days, longer than the 28 period. 28 days they were assigned, and it could be considered that they have made a progress of elimination. Uh, so this was about New Zealand in, in Australia. At one time, they experienced a peak of over 700 cases a day, but they managed to eliminate community transmission in three months with lockdowns and roadmap to keep contact, contact tracing. There are many advantages of taking elimination strategy compared to mitigation and suppression strategies. Uh, the pros of elimination strategy is that elimination strategy can minimize negative health and economic effects. Another thing is that they can keep up a lower risk of health service being overloaded. And another is fewer, fewer deaths from COVID. Countries that followed an elimination strategy have had low mortality rate compared, compared to European and North American countries, which have mitigation strategy or prison strategy. Uh, 
it's not easy to introduce elimination strategy in countries because they have to have strict border management, which was country has to have closely supervised quarantine of all arrivals from places that have not eliminated the virus by conducting testing, contact tracing, and isolation, and make use of masks. Another thing is that they have to ha they have to have the highly developed sur surveillance and testing to rapidly identify cases and outbreaks. Uh, if countries started start this process in the early period, they would have a Uh, there is no need for them, for the countries to do elimination strategy. Uh, and they don't need to do lockdown if they start or doing highly developed surveillance and testing. So in time, when they had elimination strategy, they didn't have a need of doing lockdown because they went into the strategy in the earlier period. And last, public health infra infrastructure needs to be highly functioned in order to do elimination strategy in the country. So New Zealand had newer tools such as the use of digital technology to speed up, speed up contact tracing so this made possible for New Zealand to introduce elimination strategy. Um, so as we know that when countries have lockdowns, economic gets harsh damage in the countries, such as loss of employment and social distance, social disruption. So supports from the government are required. New Zealand and Australia's government made economic actions and income supports in income support measures they implement economic support nationally to employers who keep workers on the payroll while unable to work some states provide support packages for the employed workers uh, as i mentioned it is challenging challenging to change human's behavior to reduce the transmission of virus. So, so that's why movement controls should be made mandatory by introducing lockdown. Because New Zealand went into an intense lockdown early, the country was able to adopt systems to trace contact and large-scale testing. Uh, yes, that's all for my presentation. Uh, yeah, thank you so much because I have heard from my family who lived in Australia that the government were very strict on um, their lockdowns. Like even before, um, they're only allowed to go out within like five kilometers around their house and all of that. Yeah, and how do you think that the um, citizens react to the very strict 
lockdown from the government? Did they agree or were there any protests about that? Because I think people suffer a lot from mental health by being like in a confined area for too long. Yeah, they moved in. They agreed to the government's decision about going into lockdown. So I was very interesting to find that in Brazil, like Ayaka mentioned, that uh, Brazilian people were against Brazilian president was uh-huh. against going into lockdown. So it was interesting. Oh, there is a comment, um, a question from Professor Dranda. Do you think that the Japanese government could follow such strict lockdown? Uh, in my opinion, I think we should go into lockdown. I think there is a law that we can't go into lockdown in Japan. But if there wasn't a law that we couldn't, we should go into lockdown because uh, We, I think we need to stop the movement of people. So, yeah. Cute, yeah. And how is the vaccination going there? Because I feel like it's really great that the government can reduce the amount of um, positive cases per day. But then at that time, there was no vaccination around, I think. I'm not really, really sure about the vaccination, but because they went into lockdown early and they could prevent the number of cases going up by that last day. The medical service were able, medical service had time to prepare a vaccination. So I think they are providing right now or they might be vaccinated. Do you think the amount of population also like helps with how the government manage the situation? Because, I mean, Australia isn't that small either. Maybe New Zealand is, but like compared to other countries, I feel like Australia isn't, it's quite, can, you can call it small, like medium-sized. <laughs> yeah. Ah, density. Ah, oh yeah. Maybe like, in like dense cities, it's it's more. Professor Dranda mentioned about density, so I feel like maybe it had something to do with the situation. What do you think of like the population density and the cases per day? Yeah, I think in some parts of Australia, there it's more dense in some parts and not dense in some parts. The one that went over 700 cases a day was a place with this high high density. Ah, I see. Oh, is there any other questions from the audiences, maybe? Um, I heard people not wearing masks on public place on uh, in Sydney or like Melbourne. But um, how do you think like what uh, like when you're researching? What's the real? Uh, it's okay. Let me <laughs> clear my mind first, and I'll ask the question again. Sorry. Okay. 
Thank you. Can I, can I quickly make a comment? Okay. So, um, so um, I think in Australia they made like really strict rules. For example, they um, made uh, wearing face masks compulsory on um, in public transports. And but I feel that like um, what Momoka said, um, a lot of people, even though there was a protest in Melbourne in the beginning of lockdown, um, I think people were relatively kind of accepting and obedient like of those rules and regulations and i like i feel that the reason why they're so um accepting and like they're not the population isn't that against those rules could be because like the government attitudes towards um um like protecting the public safety is really good and like for example um australian government um officials and also um health kind of authorities they when there were a lot of cases they had um press conference every single day uh, like i don't know 11 a.m or something i remember and every day they talked about contact tracing and like how all the um spread was going and how they were trying to control them and like the attitudes of the government of like i don't know sharing the information they have rather than like japanese government for example trying not to kind of share too much about the information regarding the spread or like not even trying to um, trace the spread or like track the spread. I feel that the attitude of the government kind of led the public to feel um, and like restore faith in the government or like trust in the government. And I feel that that kind of allowed them to follow the regulations and like um, accept like what government had um, kind of said, yeah. Yeah, I also think that the trust trust of government is important in order to do in order to take elimination strategy. So I totally agree with you, Hinako. May I also make a comment? Yes. Um, I think that um, as uh, Professor Duranda mentioned. I believe that the success in New Zealand, it is related to density because I've heard that in New Zealand, the number of like sheep is higher than human. <laughs> and and, and for, because in Japan, most of the population is concentrated in Tokyo. So maybe instead of like doing lockdown, the government should take measures to encourage people to go to the countryside maybe, because if we can't do lockdown, that would maybe be a better idea. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think about that, Momoka? Yeah, I think I have read an article about moving people to the country places, like world places, and developing like a facility to facility that has like Wi-Fi and equipment for doing online working. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's one idea if Japan cannot do lockdown. But won't that like take too long though to like make adequate facilities for the public? Yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's very complicated. Um, is there any other questions maybe from Momo or um it's okay. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> Thank you. 
So, um, in your opinion, Momoka, what do you think can like the rest of the world learn from the Australia and New Zealand government from their yeah, great strategy? Well, uh, we're never gonna know how fast the cases will go up. So I think we should take mes- take measures at early period and learn from other countries. Yes. Okay. All right. I think. Is there anything else that you want to add on besides that? Uh, I was just going to mention the disadvantage of elimination strategy. Uh, when countries introduce elimination strategy, they have to, the government has to provide support for the people who kept out of working. So the costs that are needed to provide support for the countries is uncertain until the pandemic is fully over. So yeah, the country might spend a lot of money, but they're not going to know how much they're going to spend. So I think that's a big problem. Yeah, because it's very uncertain. So it's really hard for the government to like measure everything in detail. Thank you so much, Momoka, for the detailed um, explanation on how Australia and New Zealand is going. So I guess that is all for today's um, session. I hope you all enjoyed uh, our talk. And thank you. I want to thank all the guests for sharing very um, detailed information about these different countries. And yeah. You guys next time. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to end the meeting. Yes.